0: Welcome to the Neojao Chuan Podcast. This is Isaac. Uh, this is Episode 3 of Season 2. Uh, today we are going to be talking about Jin Yun Ding, the Xingyi Master and Teacher of Liu Hongqie. Uh, we'll also be talking about the next uh, Gong practice, which is moving energy along specific lines. Um, and as a... Sp- Special bonus uh, at the end of the episode is a chunk of an interview we did with Frank Allen that's available in its entirety on our Patreon. Uh, That's three parts, almost two hours long, Uh, so check that out. Frank talks about his initial meeting with Bruce Francis and uh, many, many other things in the longer interview, so check that out. There's also other interviews we did, discussions, practice sessions, things like that. Okay. Uh, hope you enjoy the episode
1: and thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Neji Chuan Podcast with Isaac and Jess. Here in season two, we've been talking about an older generation of martial arts teachers that we've been learning about and profiling and sort of digging into the history that we can find. This episode, we want to talk about Jin Yun Ting who is one of the Xing Yi teachers of Liu Hongjie. So Jin Yun Ting is quite an amazing person in the martial arts world. Um, He's born in 1881. So I think that makes him the uh, older than Liu Hongjie by about 20 years. So make him uh, a senior above him. Um, As far as we can tell from the books we've found, they they got together somewhere in the 1920s, we think. And so Jin Yun Ting uh, has a book that he published that was pu- that was translated by John Groshwitz into English as the Shingy Boxing Manual. And there's a biography there of teacher Jin Yun Ting. There's not too many other places to talk about him. It's, his style seems to be kind of quiet. Isaac, it seems like this book is almost the only place we've seen his name.
0: Uh, yeah, the f- first place I heard about him was in a Bagua Journal uh, article about the it was the the sunyi uh Chanting hua connection issue and and he's listed as one of shang shang's students but that's it just a, like nothing just about name. him just the name in a list of names and then when john's book came out it was like oh my god that's you know that's the guy and uh, it didn't uh i had actually found pictures of him i think before the book came out but then the book came out and It was like, there he is. is."
1: Yeah, so he must have been a pretty prominent guy to have a book published. I think there's something to that.
0: It wasn't cheap to have pictures taken. It wasn't cheap to publish a book. So, you know, uh, there was somebody was interested in what he was doing. But he's not, uh, you know, he's not one of those big name people that is well-known necessarily. Right,
1: right. Yeah, for some reason, the schools that follow him. At least not in the West.
0: But even now with the internet and, you know, a lot more access to... Chinese texts and stuff still haven't found much about him. So
1: let's jump into the biography of Jin Yun Ting from the Xingyi Boxing Manual. It says here that at age 12, Jin arrived at the capital where he first began studying Xingyi Chen. This boxing is divided into five postures called splitting, smashing, drilling, pounding, and crossing. They possess the blending of hard and soft and the subtlety of the mutual creation of the five elements. At the time, masters Shang Yun and Sun Lutong used their boxing to instruct disciples and Master Jin entered into their schools. So there it talks about his teachers who are two very famous figures in Xing Yi. Yeah. And so clearly he's from a lineage of top people. I mean, there's no, that's that's what I take away from this here.
0: Yeah, as I understand it, he studied with Shang first and then uh, went to continue with Sun Ludong. Hmm.
1: It says here that he continued to study other martial arts as well. Um, he he uh, continued to practice for another 10 years. And during this time, he received Li Sun Yi's secret instruction, which advanced his learning, solidified his strength, and made, him f- made famous his reputation. So that's yet another huge figure in 20th century Xing Yi, this right. great you know, single saber lead, famous bodyguard from the Boxer Rebellion.
0: Which would have been his grand
1: teacher, right? His own grand teacher. Right. He went and learned from him and learned some secret and advanced instruction. So, wow. What a, so he got to train with his own grand teacher, which is pretty cool.
0: I don't know if people know this, but grand means like grand as in grandfather. Not, it's not grand as in like fantastic. Just in case anyone's wondering.
1: Great grandfather. Right. Right. That's like the, you know, in Chinese martial arts, it's like a family relationship. Yeah. So there's your father and your grandfather and so but on. But
0: somebody somebody can be a grand, you know, teacher and not be very good also. you know, It doesn't right. mean exactly. like, like it doesn't it just. It's an yeah. age thing. Anyways.
1: So a few more things about Jin Yun Ting. It says here he was uh, served as a martial arts instructor for 15 military divisions. Wow. Because of this, his art flourished among the people of the North. Seeing the changing political situation, the corruption of the military, and recognizing the coming chaos, Master escaped to the South one year. Mm. So it sounds like he's part of the Guomindang Nationalist Army right. teaching in multiple military divisions. And so it, that helped uh, increase his number of students. Which ex- kind of would explain why he was well known. And I wonder if that's the same time when teacher Liu Hongjie was in serving in that same military. Could be. Yeah, I
0: wonder. Um Yeah, it's because, like in the in the book there's also a bunch of bios by military guys, so maybe I'm wondering if those were his you know, guys. Okay. Serving with or Because they don't really sound like, you know, they were his shingy classmates necessarily.
1: Right. So, so there's sort them. of yeah, the shingy that's taught in the bodyguard in civilian circles, then this it goes into this military I guess life is so militarized in China at that time. You really have no choice if your martial art's going to be doing anything. It has to be well. I mean, you know, fighting. You, it, you know,
0: if you believe the legends, right? It started as a. It started as a uh, military art, right? True, With right. train training his soldiers and whatnot. So
1: right here, you come full circle. I
0: guess, it, and then there was a, which who knows if we'll talk about that one sometime. But that Huang Bo Nan had a doesn't he have that shingy for bayonet? Bayonet, Yeah, exactly. So shingy applies well to uh,
1: military fighting. It's, uh, you know, it seems definitely It seems like it pops up there repeatedly. So next he's in Shanghai, those in Shanghai of brave bearing who esteemed boxing presented gifts and sought instruction until his doorsteps were thronged. And master was forced to select those to admit not squandering his teachings on the rash or corrupt. Mm. That sounds like he's a somewhat picky teacher. Not uh of high class.
0: Yeah, well, that's another one of these high morality. The, these themes that pops up, right? That um I think it was one of the Tai Chi guys we talked about um saying, you know, that it's for a certain class of people, right? That you know, you don't want to teach just this to just anyone. So I think this is that same sort of thing that keep out the riffraff, you know.
1: Right. Now something about Ma- uh, Master jin Ting himself. His appearance was handsome and strong, his mind gentle. He conducted himself as a teacher with respect and made friends with sincerity. In regard to weapons, he became adept at one after another and was especially skilled in straight sword arts. Hmm. So it sounds like he was doing the shingi sword, which I've never trained. That sounds pretty cool, the, long, the two-edged long sword. Jian. Yeah. After the Capital Martial Arts Institute was established, Sun Ludong summoned him to work there. However, Master Jin viewed his own work, his own art, as only a minor achievement, and the risk of jealousy was too great, so he gracefully declined. <laughs> um, what, so it sounds like after his military service, the Capital Martial Arts Institute was established. I wonder if that's one of those civilian martial art societies that were, were forming uh, since the turn of the century.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it was
1: is that related to maybe the esteeming the Marshall society that we've run across a few times?
0: Uh, I would have to assume he was at least somewhat connected to it as both of it, both of his teachers were part of it. So yeah. Uh, but I don't know to what degree, um, right. I know, you know, Lee Kung Yi was sort of the, you know, he was like kind of like godfather of that whole thing. So, um, Wherever his that, name
1: pops up, that tells you there's some connection there. Yeah,
0: and I think you know there were two groups, right? There was the one in Beijing and one somewhere else. So,
1: Tianjin, the, yeah.
0: Yeah, right. So the, so I think the Beijing one was uh, more the um, Shang Yung Shang's group.
1: Well, we're gonna keep investigating these martial arts associations that were internal martial arts groups were gathering because. There's something about that that I think is at the core of this lineage, you know, of the stuff that that came to the West. There's there's a link there, you know. Definitely. All (laughs) right, so here's a few last things from Jin Yun Ting's book. Master's teaching was rational, taking my weakened body and stiff limbs and patiently correcting them without forcing or exhausting, slowly and imperceptibly changing my fearful and complacent heart, attaining the eradication of sickness and extension of life, leading me to today become a teacher myself. Um, so this is all being written by a guy who's profiling. Right, right, right. As to his conduct, in friendship he was superior with penetrating purity, unyielding force, and disdain for fame and fortune. All those so-called men and idealists today, do they possess these qualities? <laughs> I'd say he's a rare breed. You know, man, this upstanding guy with the great lineage who's...
0: Yeah, I mean... The, the, I mean,
1: he's teaching at the highest level. Military, fighting a foreign invader. I mean, that's pretty high praise.
0: Yeah, and the, the sort of the thing about not wanting to be, you know, well-known, even though you're already well-known, it seems to be, you know, there's a, the humility is a big part of it, right? So, mm-hmm. the, you know, you, whenever you write about your teacher, it's the, you know, their amazing humility is always part of it.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a big deal in Chinese martial arts, for sure. Right, I mean,
0: and it sounds like this guy was... So many. You know, pretty, actually, pretty humble, and and you know that I think is rare that it you know you find an a actual you know humble person as opposed to someone. <laughs> this guy might have been legit. <laughs> who's who's uh, yeah, and and also I think you know it sounds like he um, was was serious. You know that like, that what he was doing was really about teaching the 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 art and um spreading the the sort of the gospel of shingy if you will and and even to the degree that it you know as a health practice right that that, you know one of the themes here a lot of these these testimonials sort of talk about is you know how they start i mean you can almost make an outline right they all start basically with i was weak you know as a child i got sick or something and then I did fill in the blank martial art, and then I wasn't weak anymore, you know, and, and that's the the standard sort of resume goes like that, you know, so um, I think that, you know, that, that just shows that people were getting into internal martial arts even back then as a, you know, health practice, not necessarily to, uh, you know, fight, In war, even though these guys probably were, a lot of them at least were fighting in war. Yeah, so
1: I mean, you can see he's so, he covers so much a comprehensive way martial arts can be applied to so many different levels. He's working, he's teaching military drills, he's helping weak people get strong, and he's also an upstanding citizen of, you know, great honor and virtue. So, I mean, that's, that's that fully faceted thing that Chinese martial arts has always been known for, you know. All right, one last thing. Um, pulling from the Shen Wu website, uh, a post from 2001, um, this is the only fight story we could find about Jin Yun Ting. It says here that a different, a different master by the name of Cao Lien Fung became famous in Shanghai as a young man when he worked as a security guard with his Shingi Tren teacher, Jin Yun Ting. They got into a fight with a group of gangsters and managed to beat them all while unharmed. This was fairly big news at the time. <laughs> yeah. So at all least right. he got, I mean, that's the only, you know, all we hear about is what a great guy he is and how kind and nice he is. But here he's in a big battle with uh, a gang of gangsters and beat them all while, unhar- while unarmed. Pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good story. So moving on to the next of the Negong principles um, is moving Chi along... General directions of various channels in the body. So going up and down, left and right, the body's various natural flows, you're going to participate in that and move along with those flows and engender strength, you know, and strengthen those flows and and harmonize with those flows. They're already there, but you're going to get involved with them and improve them, basically. That's how I see it.
0: Yes. One of the main types of Qigong is Qigong where you move energy along uh, meridians, right, energy meridians. So essentially it's working the way acupuncture needles work. Um, And this is often done by moving your hand, right? So if you, you know, just taking your hand and, and moving it in a certain pattern over your body and that directs the flow of energy through a certain channel. So there's a, often, a very specific hand movement for each channel, right? Um, You know, my teacher Bruce uses a set called Dragon and Tiger to teach this type of thing. And each one of the movements is using a different one of these channels. And um, essentially the, the basic principle is that you have a field of energy and if your hand, it moves around in that field that connects to the channel inside your body. Um, and this is essentially, it's like doing a car wash, right? It's like, it's, it's not trying to go real deep and affect things, you know, way inside the body. It's, it's just moving energy on these surface lines, which sort of clears out the, the gunk and then the body functions better. So it's a very like, um, um, you know like get the body working get Mm. things healthy is the main focus
1: it seems like optimizing it rather than transforming and rebuilding and changing anything you're trying to engender what's already there and strengthen that and get 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 into the groove with how the system's working
0: and power is not a big thing So, like the you know the thing with uh some of the nagung stuff like we talked about last season it, that a lot of that's about developing internal power right when you're working on this level especially for health it's not really about power it's about function right it's about getting everything to be healthy first and then it can be you know you can turn it into a exercise for developing power but the first stage is just make the body healthy by uh, increasing the flow of chi through these, uh, you know, these surface energy lines.
1: You optimize how things are already working and improve them and find any glitches and gaps. That's kind of the low-hanging fruit of the Qigong world where if you have a habitual kink or something, getting that out will improve your system without having to do anything. It's just energy that's trapped right now. That's a big part of the opening the energy gates that we were talking about last season of just mining what's trapped and locked up and freeing that then looking for more from there
0: right and the, and the this is almost even before you would do something like opening the energy gates because opening the energy gates your your mind your sense of feeling is the main vehicle uh with something like this the movement is the main vehicle right so the movement creates a pattern, which you know opens up that channel, and and so the, eventually
1: so you build the sensitivity that later you can really dissolve. But first, you kind of got to feel it, go with it, right. then the dissolving becomes an option. Yeah,
0: this is this is a this is like if you were gonna take energy gates, this would be more about like the scanning portion of the dissolving, but you, again, you'd be doing it with a physical movement more than just a, uh,
1: um, intent. that reminds me of how the third Bagua palm change is the one where you actively sort of open up your hands and sweep them across your arms, especially at the end where the arms don't actually touch. You just draw across each other. That's that, that energy field movement that it seems to be describing here.
0: Yeah. So the the idea is that you have these meridians, right? And there are sort of parallels inside the body and outside the body. So um, the f- first one, you can sort of connect to it with your hand being about a you know, fist distance away from the body. So as somebody... Well, let's talk about a solo thing first. When you're doing any kind of solo movement and your hand sort of moves up your arm, um, there are a lot of movements in Tai Chi that do this. There's a ton of movements in Bagua that do this. Um, a lot of what that is, is as your hand moves past your other arm, for example, to do a like a chopping motion or something, it's connecting these meridians and just those flows, getting those flows going not necessarily the focus of what you're doing at that time maybe cuz you know if there's someone trying to attack you may, you don't necessarily want to be thinking about chi flows but right um uh, when you practice by yourself you might notice that oh if i sort of feel this particular line in my arm as i move it, it you know connects to something in my back or my my internal organs or something some other deeper thing inside your body so um but the the more applicable thing is, then it eventually gives you the ability to feel this energy in someone else, either for martial arts or for healing, and that gives you this awareness, sensitivity to what sometimes gets referred to as the etheric field, and that you can very subtly manipulate someone else's uh energy just by moving your hand past their body now it's not going to be some big thing where they go flying across the room it's at best going to move them maybe a quarter of an inch but that's a lot in martial arts um right and and more probably more useful for most people is more the the, the health side of it which is if you have something that hurts and you move your hand back and forth it might feel better if someone else is in pain you can you know put your hand over that spot and you know they might uh feel it get a little bit warmer you know and and that's that's what we're talking about it's just that you know moving energy along those surface meridians
1: so principle number two about these descending channels lateral connecting channels this this isn't quite the level of mentally working with this energy and trying to direct it personally. It's more like discovering it, uncovering it and experiencing it, how it's working and helping it work better basically.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, it's, it's a, you know, quote unquote beginner practice, right? Because it doesn't require that you have a Mm -hmm. shit ton of awareness or sensitivity Mm -hmm. to Chi, for example, right? That, um, to do some of the later stuff, you actually have to be able to feel what's going on. If you're just trying to move energy with your hand, you know, just kind of running it up and down your arm, it's going to move whether or not you necessarily feel it or not, right? And so the advantage of doing these type of um, meridian you know, surface energy, qigong, whatever you want to call it, um, is that it doesn't require a great deal of, preparatory practice to get something out of it right and so um you know just by moving your arms in a you know uh, in a simple pattern you can start to open up these things which then give you you know that gives you the awareness right and then you can move on to the more uh internal practices of of moving energy with your intent which is the next one on the list right so um it kind of just picks up from there
1: Mm. Good discussion.
0: All right, man. See you soon. Take care. Hey, folks. Isaac here. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, As promised, here's a clip from our interview with Frank Allen that's available on our Patreon. Uh, Also on our Patreon is other interviews and discussions and lessons and other things related to the podcast. So check it out and like and subscribe. Let us know what you think of the
1: podcast. Um, Okay. uh, Here we go. Thanks. So, what time did did Kumar come on the scene and you started getting into, getting into it with him?
2: Well, in late 75, we'd been doing a year with BP Chan, huh. and all of a sudden, one day he walks into Jan's store, which I said, people working there with Jan Lang, Jan Stacy, and me. <laughs> and he walks in and and all of a sudden he's there, and Lang's a little nervous because their relationship was back and forth mm-hmm. and uh after doing a little bit of visiting at one point he says says to lang he says well you know i'm going to start some classes which happened after jan and cooper for a year since they met chan we're going if we could get mr chan and bruce together get them to call to dinner can you imagine what we would learn <laughs> just listen to those two can you imagine what we'd learn bruce came back they set up the dinner Bruce and Chan talked in Mandarin all night. They had no idea
1: what they said. The students were trying to get the info. You know, you got (laughs) to follow it by hook or by crook, you know.
2: They spoke in Mandarin. They had no idea what they said. But apparently it filtered back to us. And one of the things Chan in his humility said, oh, your lineage is much better than mine. Why don't you stay and teach these boys? And Bruce said, nah, I'm not going to stay here. And then a week and a half later started his classes. (laughs) But when he decided to start classes, he went to Jan and said, Jan, you know, I want you to help me start my classes. And Jan goes, well, I'm really busy, you know? And I got all this going, Frank's got time. He'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was donated to Bruce to help him with whatever he needed to start his classes. Yes. And then I think we sort of gained respect for each other. I think you guys have heard this story before in Chinese New Year's Eve, 1976, Year of the Dragon and jan has gone to visit his kids at his ex-wife's house in jersey and christopher's mother and i christopher's off probably at aaron's and uh Lori and i are watching jan's store for him and bruce has just been back a little while it's chinese new year's he doesn't know where to go per se and so he goes to visit jan but jan isn't there i am and so we're hanging out, we're talking, we're talking. And I got one of the only two compliments I ever got from him in the, you know, <laughs> like 30 years I trained from him that night when he had me show him his Qigong, following him around, helping him set up his classes. I'd seen numerous people show him Qigong and he'd always said one or two things. He either said, that's Shaolin. Or he said, that's complete crap. And that's <laughs> all he had said. And I showed him the Qigong that I learned from O'Mara. And he said, I wouldn't teach that to beginners which I think was the biggest compliment yeah. I was ever, ever going to get from him. Yeah, it was All right. the, only, the only other one I got was when he read my article on Taoism was the biggest compliment he could ever give when he said, I couldn't have written that better myself. Ah. So, when the, so that, when night, he, he, uh, oh, that night he decides that he's going to show me the difference in martial arts. So I call my friend John from around the corner who was a, a cowboy from Bakersfield. I mean, he left Bakersfield when you could still wear your gun openly on your hips. Wow. In Bakersfield. Oh, shit. And when they took him away from his father, his parents were split up and they took him away from his father because his father was dropped dead handsome. I mean, when his father came out for his wedding, I had to yank my, my wife back. Cause she's, you know, like, <laughs> his father was that handsome and women loved him. And apparently at one point, some guy had come in and threatened Alistair and told him that he was having an affair with his wife. And Alistair was like, I didn't pay any attention to her. But if he's that pissed off, she must really like me. <laughs> so he not only had an affair with her, but she leaves her husband and son and moves in with Alistair and John. Which resulted in the two fathers and sons, whenever their pickup trucks would pass on the road outside of town, would pull over, jump behind the trucks and shoot at each other for a while. before they, oh my they God. drove on. And the cop broke him up at one time and said, well, you can't keep a teenage son if you're doing this. So they sent Jonathan to live with his mother in San Francisco. She was living on the hate. It was late spring 1968. Oh, boy. (laughs) So he went from being in a shooting feud with his father to dropping acid with his mom and her friends. (laughs) Out of the frying pan. (laughs) Wow. And then... Eventually, they moved moved to New York, and he was doing some karate with Chaka Zulu, still the best karate guy I've ever laid eyes on, but he's out in California somewhere now, still teaching at over 80, Wow! but he's one of the guys that got soft and naturally internal as he went along, but uh, he was studying with Zulu, and I always wanted him to get into the Chinese martial arts. So I said, let me get my friend. So I called John and John comes over and John and Lori are watching. Well, Bruce goes through for the next about two hours. He shows us five styles of karate, four styles of Shaolin, Taiji, Bagua, Shingi. He shows it all by going, attack me, Frank. I attack him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I either bounce off the wall, or hit the floor, or go flying backwards. Oh, and he stops and <laughs> explains exactly what he did, what style it's from, what technique <laughs> it was. And then says, "Attack me, Frank." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we went on like that for a couple hours.
0: Hey, folks. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, again, if you want to hear the entirety of the interview, go to our Patreon. You can get to it through our website, the dot
1: All right. Thanks for listening, and take care.